Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside ND Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. Did you know that Dead Soxy makes custom socks for companies and organizations? Dead Soxy custom socks make incredible promotional gifts, giveaways, and are also great for fundraisers. Custom socks just might be the best promotional product you've never tried. Think about it. Every person you know wears socks every day, and they wear their favorite pairs a lot. Why not take advantage of this knowledge and take fundraising or branding to a whole new level? I don't know, Eric. Maybe we should uh, look into getting some inside indie sports socks. The minimum order is only 100 pairs of the same style, and the lead time is six to eight weeks. And right now, every custom order is $100 off. So get your project started now. Go to deadsoxy.com forward slash custom to check out what they do with custom socks. Four of Notre Dame's transfer portal additions and 12 of Notre Dame's 2023 recruiting class members have arrived on campus for the start of the spring semester this week. That includes former Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman, who remains the biggest story of the offseason for Notre Dame. For more insight on the ACC's all-time leader in passing touchdowns, we reached out to Chad Greer, Hartman's former high school coach, Greer is currently the head coach at Providence Day School in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he's won state championships the past two seasons. Chad, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Chad, to start, I I guess I wanted to hear what your reaction was when you sort of learned that Sam was interested in potentially playing a sixth year of college football rather than heading into the NFL draft. Well, I think it was really more of a a business decision. I think when I talked to Sam, it was, you know, his his – goals from the beginning were playing a new year's day game and um and go to the draft i think he felt like wake had a great team and it really did i mean you know, injuries happen to everybody but um you know he had an incredible career at wake um he grew a lot individually as a person and as a player and loved wake had a great experience there and i don't think thought about ever doing anything else and he got to the end of the season some things you know happened I, you know frankly i think if they found a way to beat clemson in that double overtime game Everything might be a little bit different, but I think as it worked out for him, he, um, you know, he had to evaluate based on what the draft projections look like and, you know, with the, the days of NIL. I mean, it's a business decision. It probably makes sense to improve his draft status, maybe make a little bit of money too. And, and um, but I think his focus really is less about money and truly about, you know, how do I better position myself for the, the next level? Chad, uh, I'm, I'm really eager to go back into history and talk about your time with him at Davidson Day and Oceanside, but I want to stay in the present here for a second in in the sense of what is Notre Dame getting in Sam Hartman? Uh, a fiercely competitive uh, man. He, he's, he's always been mature beyond his years, but at this point, I mean, he's he's grown. And he's uh, I've never been around a kid that's had to overcome more adversity, and he, he does it. Uh, you know, when it happened this year, I mean, it was just, you know, you hated it for him, but you just knew that he was going to overcome it and and do great. That's just who he is. Chad, and then the flip side of that is what what do you think Sam can sort of get out of Notre Dame? What do you think are the things that Notre Dame can offer him, teach him, uh, maybe help him elevate himself to the NFL? What are those things that you think are maybe missing that can that he, he can address at Notre Dame? I think it's window dressing, to be honest with you. I think Sam's proven he can touch every part of the field with his arm talent. Um, he's proven time and again what a great leader he is. Um, I think that's one of the things that, you know, probably should have said what Notre Dame's getting is, 
one of the best locker room guys maybe of all time. I mean, he just um, – and when he when he left – when I left Davidson Day and he moved to, to Charleston, his family moved and, and bought a house so he could go to Oceanside and finish up with us down there. One of the things he said to me was, you know, when I go to college, I'm going to have to go win a new locker room. I'm going to have to, you know, win new guys all over again. And, and I know I've got to earn that. You just don't show up and be the guy. you got to go in and earn it with hard work and earn that respect. And this would be a good practice for me to do that. And he clearly did that for us at Oceanside. He went and started as a true freshman at Wake Forest. He went and did it at Wake Forest and then became the face of that program and elevated Wake to, to a level they'd never been before. And I feel like it's it's another dry run for the NFL. I think he'll go do that at Notre Dame. He'll be a great teammate, great locker room guy, be a great leader. He's going to show a ton of toughness mentally and physically. I think that for him, you know, people don't realize that, you know, he really wasn't, you know, they, they categorize Wake as an RPO offense. And the fact is um, it, it – in his purest form, maybe it is, but he's throwing a lot of balls in line of scrimmage because their pro concepts have to develop. It's not a, hey, I'm riding this thing and whipping it out and throwing a, a screen or a bubble or a slant. I mean, he's really reading concepts. He's setting protections. He's doing things that most guys do with the luxury of being, you know, seven yards deep in a pocket with protection. So I think Notre Dame probably offers an opportunity to do things that look uh, more familiar to people and, and his arm talent and his leadership, his execution, his accuracy is all going to speak for itself in that offense. Chad, um, it seemed like he knew very early in the process that Notre Dame was where he wanted to go in your conversations with him. Did you get a sense that he had vetted a lot of other schools and kind of eliminated them? Did you, do you have a sense of who else he might've been interested in? I think there were a lot of people that, that were interested in him, um, clearly, for obvious reasons. And I think Sam, I, I don't think it, he spent much time at all on it until the very end. I think he really and truly was committed to Wake and his teammates and winning there and uh, going to the draft. Um, it kind of happened that, you know, uh, I think when he, he made the decision to, to evaluate what opportunities could be, I think some out of respect for Wake. Um, and I think uh, – it's some for style of play. Notre Dame is just, you know, it's not in the ACC. It's, and it's, again, for him, it's unfamiliar territory. Sam loves to be challenged and loves to overcome challenge. He's going to go to a part of the country he hasn't been to or played in. But at the same time, the appeal of Notre Dame is, is obvious. I mean, and uh, I think Coach Freeman and his staff must have done an incredible job with, with Sam and his mom on the recruiting visit. And, um, you know, I think he just, he got a, a sense that, you know, he's playing at a place that's, like no other, and he had the opportunity to go do that there and, and have a great experience and, and hopefully and indeed improve his draft status. But I tell you, you know, Sam's not one of those guys that's about him. I mean, he, obviously he's got individual goals, but I promise you he's going to go there with the expectation of winning a national championship. That, that's why that's as much to do with Sam as anything. He's just a winner. And following up on that, it's it's I would imagine it's going to be a really different dynamic in a couple of ways. One is dealing with the media every game because he's going to be the face of the program to the kind of the fishbowl aspect to Notre Dame where, you know, your favorite color is scrutinized and so forth. I know he's a mentally, mentally tough guy, but how do you feel like he'll handle those two aspects? Um, Alec, it'll phase him. He may not like it. He'll never yeah. let anybody know. He'll just deal with it. He'll, he'll handle it as uh, beautifully as anybody's ever done it. Yeah, I do not expect it to be a, chink in armor he'll, he'll process it and deal with it and you'll never know whether he, he's enjoying every second of it or hating it. He'll, he'll handle it beautifully <laughs> chad we're, we're running back to when you first got to know sam how obvious of a talent was he or was he someone that maybe made some big strides throughout his high school career 
my guess is you were probably a better looking prospect than he was at the time. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I actually, when I, my earliest memory of Sam was uh, he was playing up on his big brother's baseball team with one of my sons. And, um, you know, we, we'd have these little tournament games at eight o'clock in the morning and Sam would bounce out of the truck in his full catcher's outfit, already muddy and dirty. But I'm like, how did you get dirty? You just got out of bed. I mean, what have you been doing? He had a little crew cut and was just, he was a little dirt diver, man. He was this little tough little grinder kid that was too young, too small to be playing with those guys. But man, he would go compete and tough as nails and it'd be a hundred degrees out there. And he had that full catcher's mask outfit on. You're thinking, my God, he's got to be just miserable. He just loved every second of it. He just unique kid. Then, you know, he transformed into this, you know, my wife thinks he's like a GQ model. I mean, you know, he just <laughs> long flowing hair and like, well, we need to, instant you know transformation tuesday to a whole new level and uh but you know he wasn't very big he wasn't very strong he didn't throw it very far <laughs> he didn't run very fast and everybody told him all those things they told him you're too this you're too that you know you'll never make it and uh i think sam just said yeah i'll show you and he just he outworks everybody i mean he's a grinder and um he enjoys it I mean, it's, you know there's no secret to his success he's just gonna outwork you he's gonna find a way to get it done given you know given those humble beginnings he he ends up being a pretty prolific high school quarterback and again our certainly our our uh, listeners don't know the backstory and we know only part of it but it it's a head scratcher to say how is this guy a three-star prospect how did he only have a handful of offers out of the high school was it in part because of the emergency surgery his junior year or why do you think that was I didn't help. I mean, you know, it was, um, you know, it was one thing after another for Sam really, but you know, he, he was always undersized. People just thought he was too small, too short, too skinny, too this his arms, not strong enough, whatever. And all he did was go continue to prove everybody wrong. And it, it took somebody to believe. And, and you got to remember at that time, there weren't a lot of um, smaller, shorter guys at that time. You know, Sam wasn't, you know, he, he's getting on six feet, you know, he was 165, 70 pounds. I mean, you know, people are looking for a six four kid, even in high school, looking for the big guy to check the boxes. And uh, you know, Sam had an offer from Elon, which he was very happy with. And his his goal, his dad was went to med school at um at Wake Forest. And if he got an offer from Wake Forest, that was gonna be the greatest thing in the world to him. And, and he got it. So that to him, that was his dream deal. I mean, he was uh, excited as he could be about it and went all in from day one. But you know, the <coughs> recruiting piece of it was just uh, you know, I, I think it's a myth by a lot of guys and I remember trying to get him a spot in Army All-American game with some guys I, I know and trust and, and believe in. And they were like, yeah, man, I, you know, no, no, you know. <laughs> they go back at it now and go, man, that kid's pretty good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> pretty good player. Chad, you mentioned how uh, Sam followed you to Oceanside Collegiate Academy for his senior year. What did, what did that mean to you to be starting it somewhere new and, and to have someone who had been so productive for you to to make that big of a leap to follow you for a senior year? Well, it was it was more than just um, the obviously having that kind of talented kid to play the most important position on the field, especially in our offense. But what Sam brought to Oceanside was um, a humbleness, uh, a, a leadership, uh, work ethic that you know those guys had never won a game. And here's this guy that's got a D one offer. He's going to committed D one. He's not you know, not going to change, but he's going to basically come here and work his butt off, be the hardest worker guy, hardest worker on this team. He's going to show these guys what it takes to win and what it takes to be a college football player if that's your goal. And, man, he he did all 
those things. And the, and the kids followed him. They followed his lead. And they saw me, you know, almost um, to a fault, probably in hindsight. I mean, I, I grinded Sam. I was hard on him. I was hard. I'm, look, I was hard on my own son at that position. I was hard on Sam. But I, <laughs> frankly, I viewed Sam as my own son a lot of times. But he, uh, by doing that, it made him very approachable to everybody else. And he handled it so well. I mean, he probably, you know, I'm sure at times he wanted to say, hey, man, coach, just get off my back and leave me alone. You know, are you crazy? I'm doing everything you asked me to. But when other kids saw me get on him and he him, he handled it so well, then they were okay with it. And, and that, you know, you have to earn the right to get on kids if they know you love them. And Sam, I think, certainly knows I, I love him as my own. Um, then, you know, I'm just trying to push you to make you better. And through his example of that, that whole program kind of elevated that same way. And um, whatever the timeline was going to be for us to, to win a game or win any games or be any good got way, way shorter because of what Sam did by not only just his play on the field, but what he did off the field to show guys what it takes to be successful. I remember seeing him in 2018 uh, against Notre Dame, and I, I thought this guy is going to get killed um, between Wake Forest's line and him not being a very big guy. Um, I, I was I was worried about him, um, but I thought he was fearless. Oh, and, yeah. and and then uh, come kind of coming into the game late was Jamie Newman, and those two kind of went back and forth on the depth chart for a while, uh, in part because of Sam's injury at the end of the 2018 season. Why did he, what do you think kept him at Wake once Newman jumped him on the depth chart before Newman left? I mean, in 2019. What do you think kept him at Wake and competing rather than, you know, going somewhere else? Because that's just who he is. He's loyal, and he he was committed to Wake. He was going to be awake, and he's competitive as anybody you've ever seen. He was not going to get beat out. He lost his job because he broke his leg. And by the way, he played I think three plays on broken leg, <laughs> um, you know, because he wasn't didn't want to come out. And look, to Jamie's credit, Jamie came in and did great. And, um, you know, and it, but again, that's another part of Sam's chapter, you know, another, another chapter of adversity had ever come. And it was arguably, it was neck and neck, and it could have gone either way. And they chose Jamie. And that had to be heartbreaking to Sam. He lost his job due to injury. He comes back, had a great spring, did everything he's supposed to do to get back healthy. And, you know, some people would say he beat Jamie out, but they went with Jamie anyway. And then ironically, you know, Jamie gets hurt to give Sam his chance. And then, of course, he never looked back after that. But, um, I don't think Sam ever considered leaving at all. I mean, he just, he was committed to wake. He's, he's, that's just how he's wired and built his, his parents raising that way. And he's hyper competitive. Chad, in the spirit of being tough on Sam, what are, what are the parts of his game that maybe get him in trouble? Are there certain things that he does that he maybe needs to be more conservative or be a little bit more careful with the football? Well, I think that, um, what comes to mind immediately is, you know, he never really was able to able to run the football. He was just as a sophomore, junior, he was, he was little, not fast, and you know, not a good recipe to go be a runner. He worked so hard in the weight room, and he, his body changed, and he got faster and stronger, and more athletic. And um, his senior year at Oceanside, he was able to run. He started escaping pressure. He's he's made positive yards running. We even called some running plays for him. But you know, being the knucklehead he is, he was that, that little kid in the catcher's outfit. You know, at 100 degrees, he's trying to run people over. And I'm like, Sam, you know, look, you can do that maybe right now, but when you get next year and you're playing at Clemson or Florida State, some of these places, maybe you ought not do that. They're playing Clemson his freshman year, and I swear to you, he ran – he tried to run over one of their linebackers. I mean, he just got mollywhopped. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, Sam, you got to – 
but he just bounces right up. And one of the funniest things about Sam is that you'll, you'll come to appreciate. I don't know if you remember when uh, Andrew Luck played and how they mic'd him up and how he would always talk to the defensive guys that would knock his head off and he'd hit, pat him on the butt and tell him something nice. That's Sam. <laughs> That's Sam. And he's, uh, so, you know, he, you might, you might hit him, but he's going to bounce up and, say something nice to you he's not you know that's just who he is I, I was watching the Duke game this year at the end and he he slid and uh he took a hit high and I screamed at television that's a flag they throw the flag throw the flag and they didn't throw the flag and I'm like golly then I see Sam patting him on the head and talking to him after the play I'm like my yes I said Sam what'd you say to me so oh, I told him that, that was clean man. don't worry about that you didn't hurt me I'm fine that was that was a good play on your part and I'm like but I'm here I'm screaming at television you're telling the guys oh that's okay it's a good play <laughs> <laughs> Coach, have you had a chance to talk to him since he's been up in South Bend? You know, they start classes on Tuesday. You know, I haven't, and you know, I, it's uh, I feel bad that I haven't. I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I do honestly feel like he's one of mine, and um, you know, I, he's got great parents that have raised him wonderfully. But I, I did talk to Mar, his dad, and um, he told me what an incredible visit he had with Coach Freeman, and. Um, you know, all, a lot of the things that he, he was able to do on his visit with his mom and sound like it was a spectacular visit. And, um, you know, he he said it sounds just incredibly happy with Coach Freeman, the relationship they're building with Coach Reese. I mean, he just – he seems really, really happy. Now, Coach Freeman's going to be here tomorrow, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting an update from from him. Do, do you have uh, – do you have some people for him to look at? I know the Aquano twins were there before you came back to Charlotte. Yeah, we've got uh, – six national recruits right now the the reigning right. the, the reigning Gatorade player of the year and all state Mr. Football all those things and then um we had DB just signed with Georgia but uh, um we got an offensive lineman's number one prospect in the country in the class of 25 regardless of position we got two receivers at safety and a corner and a bunch of young guys so we we got very blessed to have a bunch of talented kids to work with here Chad, you seem to attract pretty good quarterbacks. What is it about uh, <laughs> your system as a high school coach that's allowed you to have so much success with the quarterback position? I've just been really lucky to get some great kids that, that make plays. And, you know, and I think what happens, you you know, it becomes a, a self-fulfilling thing. I mean, it's uh, we have had success because we've had great kids and other great kids want to be like those great kids. So I'm just a benefactor. Frankly, I don't mean to, you know, proselytize or you know but this, the truth of it is i'm very prayerful over uh what i'm doing i, I was in business for 25 years I, I wasn't you know a career high school coach and i got into this because i felt like i was led to be into it and um and i, I don't uh i don't pretend to tell you that I, i'm not 100 guys get on a whiteboard with me x and o's and do anything different more or less than i can do i, I think the difference is that I, i'm in in his will and doing what he wants me to do. And he keeps sending me the kids he wants me to have to impact and impact me. Sam certainly has been a huge part of that. And, you know, the, it, as long as he keeps sending me good ones, I guess I'm going to, you know, keep looking like I know what I'm doing, but <laughs> a lot more about the kids than it is about me. Coach, last one for me. I know that there's a story behind his attachment to the number 10. He's going to wear 10 at That's Notre right. Dame. Can you give us kind of the cliffs notes of, uh, why 10 is so special to him man I, I don't know if there is a cliff notes version i would tell you i highly encourage you to uh frank mansfield out in, down in charleston south carolina wrote an incredible piece on that and uh, i would encourage you to find that and read it um what i'll tell you is that um sam's family 
adopted a young man I was very close to. I'd actually coached in youth ball, and um, they took him in as their own. And when you ask the Hartmans, they had three sons. You know, Sam has two brothers. And uh, Dimitri was that close and part of the family and uh, meant the world to Sam. And, um, you know, it, what, you know it, that, that was a tough deal. Uh, but uh, sorry it's okay I understand I understand I, I that's hard to um it's sure been a it's hard to talk about sorry no it's, it's, it's good um he uh I think you know Sam we that happened uh, I think it was two days before the state championship game maybe three and uh went over to the house and Joe uh Sam's older brother was inconsolable and you really just couldn't even talk to him. Uh, Sam was sitting at the kitchen table and they both played. Uh, Joe was a receiver and a really good athlete. Sam obviously was our quarterback. We had a very good team and had some really good players around him, but Sam was, you know, was our quarterback. And so I went and sat in front of him and, and I was trying to say, Sam, nobody expects you to play. You don't have to play. We don't even want you to, I mean, there's, you just, whatever you need, whatever space you need, whatever we need to support you. That's, I didn't have it didn't come out eloquently, and I couldn't really. He didn't let me get out anyway. He just looked at up up at me with steely eyes and just said, "Coach, I'm playing." <laughs> and so I got with the the coaches, and we said, "You know, look, he wants to play, so clearly we're going to let him play." He was wearing number two at the time. He wanted to wear number ten, which was Dimitri's number, um, and it did not fit him. It went down about his knees. Sam said, <laughs> and. Uh, but we said, look, we get, we better have a plan because, you know, we can't imagine this is going to go well. But let's, you know, he clearly is going to start and, you know, he can just have a plan B. Sam played the, the best game of his life at that point. Wow. And we had, uh, went in the state championship, finished the season undefeated. Uh, it was an incredible picture captured. Um, he had thrown a, a great touchdown. I mean, you know, escaped the rush and threw a dot for touchdown. And as he's coming off the field, he's pointing up from the sky uh, to D and uh, he had a, on his towel, he had a, you know, LLD long live Dimitri on it. And um, man, it was a really cool thing that that guy captured like that. But, um, you know, it was uh, pretty amazing that he could go through that and, and play that well. It's just, but again, it's just another step of another, whatever adversity gets thrown his way, he just overcomes it, man. He, he just, he's an incredible young man. Yeah. I know. Uh, when he committed to Notre Dame, he had shared photos of him wearing the number 10 jersey. And Notre Dame's previous quarterback was number 10. And some Notre Dame fans were a little bit uh, unenthused with how that season went. Um, and so someone was like, Sam needs to change. We need to get him a new number. And like, oh, no, no, no. He's going to wear that number for a reason. And once you hear it, you'll understand why. He's going to wear that, no doubt. Well, all right, Chad, that's all we have for you today. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. And uh, best of luck moving forward with your uh, high school career. I appreciate y'all. When y'all see Sam, be sure to thump him in the head for me and tell him to call me. I'm, I'm okay. And uh, you thump Marcus Freeman in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him you said so. All right. Take care. Thanks, guys. As a reminder, the Inside ND Sports podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. Now, did you know Dead Soxy makes custom socks for companies and organizations? Yep. Dead Soxy custom socks make incredible promotional gifts, giveaways, and are great for fundraisers. Custom socks 
might just be the best promotional product you've never tried. Think about it. Every person you know wears socks every day, and they or they should, and they <laughs> they wear their favorite pairs a lot. Why not take advantage of this knowledge and take fundraising or branding to a whole new level? The minimum order is only 100 pairs of the same style, and the lead time is six to eight weeks. And right now, every custom order is 100 bucks off. Remember, all the socks come with the patented technology with a no-slip guarantee made from bamboo for that premium luxury feel. So get your project started now. Go to deadsoxy.com slash custom to check out what they can do with custom socks. That's deadsoxy.com forward slash custom. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. First question I have for us, Eric, is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. Thoughts on the schedule and the bye weeks and where you would have preferred the bye weeks to have been. I'd rather have had them before the Ohio State game and the Clemson game. That way they are more spaced out and the team has an extra week to rest before the big games. Well, I'll tell you, um, I, I, it, it's an interesting schedule. I like most of it, and I, I like uh, your idea of moving at least one of those bye weeks. I know that there's some people that aren't thrilled about Tennessee state being on the schedule because Notre Dame has never played an FCS team before. I, I actually think this is a good thing with Notre Dame coming back from Dublin, Ireland, having to deal with the uh, um, time changes and, and the jet lag and all that stuff in 2012, they wallop Navy over in Dublin and they came back and played a really average Purdue team and just barely escaped in that game. So I like the fact that it's a softer opponent on September 2nd than a middling Big Ten team. And then I also kind of, you you go to NC State on the road right after that, then come back with Central Michigan at home and then Ohio State at home. I don't mind there not being a buy there. I think that would be really early in the season for it. Where I would like to see the changes are flip-flopping the bye with the USC game on October 14th, having it before USC. Same with the Clemson game, having the bye between Pittsburgh and Clemson and giving Notre Dame a break be- before playing Clemson. Uh, both Brian Kelly and and with Marcus's first bye, they were very successful coaches having that extra week, Successful, more successful than most coaches. And especially with the USC thing, USC, I believe Notre Dame has uh, midterm exams that week. The midterm week this year was the Stanford game. And there's a lot of late night studying going on. The Having USC on October 21st means 
having USC the week that they don't have any classes. Then they have fall break. So I think that would have been better. But all in all, I, I like the schedule. I like the fact that Wake Forest, Sam Hartman's old team has to come up and maybe play in some crummy weather in November. Uh, I think that's a good thing in a game like that in November. Yeah. And if I had a preference, I'd, I'd rather the bye weeks just be spaced out more. I think that's my biggest, like I, my biggest concern. It just seems like they're so close that it, it feels like you're wasting one of them. Um, if I, if I, my, my suggested change would be like, just move the Tennessee state game to, to November. Um, that would be, I think better. Um, but I, I mean, think the it, very, very original schedule there was a buy after Navy and then the Tennessee state game. Right. Back. I imagine Tennessee state couldn't make a November game work would be the, would be my guess. Um, and that's the, that's the hard part of Notre Dame's non-conference affiliation with playing against teams and conferences that those schools are all playing their conference schedule once you get into November. So it's a bit difficult to make that work always. Um, so that that would be the big thing. I, I don't. I also don't. I'm not sure that I like the idea of a bye week going into Senior Day, which is how that sets up going into the Wake Forest game. It's just an extra week of like building up the anticipation of your potentially last game in Notre Dame Stadium, and I don't know that I like the idea of that. Um, but I, I did want to mention, uh, and this research comes from Douglas Farmer of Inside the Irish for NBC Sports, who also is a bit of a sports gambling enthusiast, so he has interest <laughs> in in wanting to know this. Um, according to his research, when a Power 5 team is coming off a, a – he says idle week because I, I imagine he doesn't like the term buy. Uh, when they play a Power 5 team, those teams went 33-35 and 35 last season – and 113 and 141 across the last three seasons, excluding 2020, obviously, because 2020 was so weird scheduling-wise. So a, a bye week doesn't sort of necessarily enhance your ability to win. Um, and so I, I think I think sometimes that's overplayed um, in terms of helping you. I think it can be detrimental. I think we saw that with the Michigan game, uh, whatever year that was, that Notre Dame got just absolutely spanked <laughs> um, at Michigan under Brian Kelly. Um, so I think there's, I, I, I think it's a sign of a good coach to be able to figure out a way around whatever the schedule, however the schedule aligns for you. I think, um, you have to, um, sort of make the adjustments accordingly and, and figure out how to handle those things. And a bye week doesn't necessarily solve all your problems. Um, I, I do, I like the idea of being able to have one like maybe in November, just because you're, it's sort of like end of the season, you could use the rest. But I also like to be able to play home games in South Bend in November because there you may have a potential home field weather advantage. So it's a a bit of a what to pick pick what your preference is there. So um, I, I and I, I mean I, I think lastly I think it's just it's incredibly complicated to sort of <laughs> make these schedules work when you're dealing with so many things outside of your control um, and so many years in advance. So I, I think is this like the ideal schedule for Notre Dame or what Jack Swarbrick would prefer? I, I doubt it. Um, but that's the best way they could sort of make this work with the games on their schedule and going forward with that. I did my own research on Notre Dame and buys. And if you combine Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman, uh, they're 15 and two post by week in games. Um, Brian was 14 and two, which is an 88, 
percentage, winning percentage. Over his overall record at Notre Dame was a 73%. So he was he bucked the trend from gambling enthusiast Doug Farmer. All right. Yeah. And obviously when you're dealing with a smaller sample size, you can decide like, okay, how difficult were those opponents that they were playing off of those bye weeks? Um, How often did they beat teams they shouldn't or weren't favored to beat and those kinds of things. So um, certainly if, if done right, it can, it can be to your advantage, but I don't think it always works out that way. All right. Next question is from at Henry bead. If Howard cross and Riley Mills start on the interior defensive line, which positions would they occupy? Cross played nose guard this year, despite having not having prototypical measurables. Would Mills become the nose guard as the larger player, or does ND's scheme utilize the position differently? Well, um, Cross has played both in his career at Notre Dame. He was recruited as a defensive end at 6'2", 240. He's uh, obviously bigger than that, and he's actually shorter than what he was in high school, according to Notre Dame, he's six foot one. Um, so I think it's more about skill set than it is about uh, prototypical size. Because if you look at who's behind Howard Cross, you have a six foot five, two hundred ninety five pound Gabe Rubio as the backup, and really um, that's kind of what the depth chart breaks down to at nose guard behind Howard Cross, behind Mills. You know, I think you have guys that are a little, have a little bit more burst like Tyson Ford, uh, Donovan Heinish. Um, So I I think there's some guys that cross train at both. Certainly Chris Smith played both uh, this year, the Harvard transfer. So, so again, it's, it's about skill set. Uh, Aiden Kiana Ina is the guy that really is a little bit different in, in terms of body type, six foot three, 322 pounds. If Notre Dame wanted to play um, some three down, you know, play some 34 looks, he'd be the guy. Uh, he is that ideal 34 nose guard size where he can take on double teams if he's healthy. So I think you have a little bit of everything, but it really does come down to skill set. Yeah, it, it's Howard Cross doesn't have the size, but he he can hold the point of attack because of his strength, the use of his hands, um, and so that allows him to do that. I don't think because Riley Mills is bigger than him means that he would be better at that. So I, I think the preferred alignment will remain um, Howard Cross at nose guard, and then um, I th- I think Riley Mills is probably going to be defensive tackle rather than defensive end. Um, I think that's the best for him moving forward. Um, so I, I, I just don't like, obviously size can help, but if you're not, you could be a big guy and not good at it. And, or you could be a smaller guy. I mean, Kurt Heinish wasn't the biggest of, of players, um, but he did a heck of a job in, in the middle of the, of the defensive line. And he's playing in the NFL right now too. All right. Uh, a related question from at Bleachers Bobby. Do you do we have enough beef up front on the defensive line? It reminds me of those old Wendy's commercials where the old <laughs> lady goes, "Where's the beef?" <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I think the the presence of a healthy Aiden Kiana Ina gives you that option if you face a team uh, that that's going to require more size than Howard Cross can give you. Um, Aiden 
being healthy is is that guy. One of the reasons Notre Dame went and got Chris Smith out of the portal last late spring after spring football was over was because Aiden got hurt in uh, in spring practice, tore his ACL, and they weren't sure how soon they'd have him back. Didn't they anticipate him having him back until the end of the season and so forth? I, I mean, when you look at the entire defensive line, yeah, yeah, they're going to need to get bigger at s- some of their younger players. You know, Joshua Burnham was a high school quarterback and linebacker. He's going to have to get bigger. Uh, Junior Tuli Halamaka is going to have to get bigger. And um, maybe even Tyson Ford at defensive tackle, although he's got pretty good size. I'm thinking, uh, who who am I missing? A- Aiden Gobaira, who's playing the field side uh defensive end i think he's in the 240s great burst but he's gonna have to get bigger if he's playing that position um so yeah there's there's some guys that need to get bigger and yet there are some guys that are at their ideal weights and those guys are toward the top of the depth chart at this point yeah i I, one one thing that i'm a little concerned about is javante jean baptiste i think there is there's the idea that he may be playing more field side end than Viper end. And he's six, five two forty nine, which we saw Justin Adamalola play that at, at I think between two fifty and two sixty. Justin Adamalola wasn't very big either. So maybe he's he can shorter. do that. Maybe yeah. he can do that, but I don't know that that would be described as the, I think, I think Jean Baptiste's best skill set is sort of getting around the edge um, as a pass rusher. So I'm curious what that looks like. Um, Especially against the run. Right. Um, so what, what, I mean, if, if, if you're say your starting defensive line is Jordan Botello, Howard Cross, Riley Mills, and Javante Jean Baptiste, that's, I think that's, that's a pretty light defensive line. Um, so I understand the concern there. I think you can augment that with, with rotational guys and maybe you're not playing all those guys at once just because you want to have some big guys in there at the same time. I, I think that the two guys that I'm most interested in are Kiana Ina, like you mentioned, um, and Tyson Ford. Those are the two guys that I think if you if you can get stuff out of those guys from at the nose guard and defensive tackle position because they have good size. With Kiana Ina's three twenty three, Tyson Ford's listed at two seventy five this past season. I would imagine he's only continuing to get bigger as he's in his first year at Notre Dame. So. I think you need to see what you have there. And then I think that sort of informs how, how badly you need to bring in a potential defensive tackle transfer. Um, Because if those, if those guys aren't guys you can definitely rely on with confidence, then I think Notre Dame is going to need some more help there. So um, I think that's an area of concern moving forward of of Notre Dame finding someone who could play defensive tackle. I mean, that's Braden Fisk was a guy that Notre Dame was looking at um, and wanted, um, but chose to, to go to Florida state out of Western Michigan, a, a defensive tackle who could also play a little bit of defensive end. So um, I don't think that Notre Dame is necessarily done there if it can find someone to to help them out. Next question is from Rico Benes at Mike EB95. What happens if the coaching staff under overestimated the number of departing transfers and ND ends up over the 85 scholarship limit? Would they be required to pull scholarships? What does this process look like and how does it play out at other schools? Well, you know, Notre Dame has been in the situation kind of since I want to say 2017 when 
Brian Kelly felt like he had just been burned so many times of um, trying to be at 85 in the spring and then ends ended up at 80 in the fall um, and not having a full roster. So it became a kind of combination of art and science where Brian decided to do these exit interviews after the season to get a better feel of what players were thinking. Like they might say, look, if I'm not in the two deeps by the end of spring practice, I'm going to transfer. And it's worked out every year. Um, so I think at the end of the season, Marcus has had Marcus Freeman has also had um, conversations with those players as whole roster of returning players. And they, have done a pretty good job of calculating who they think would leave the roster. Now, are you going to hit it perfectly at 85? You have to, there's not, not any wiggle room with that, where you can petition the NCAA for extra scholarships. There's a, there's a couple ways that they can handle it. One is, um, you know, Ron Paulus, the third is on scholarship. He could still be on a, you know, have a school paid for because his father is um, athletic department employee. And so there's some wiggle room about that, making him a walk on technically. Um, you also have, sometimes there's a chronically injured player. Will Schweitzer may fit into this. And I only bring him up because Marcus brought it up. Um, you know, he didn't play at all last year. Um, and there was some thought that they'd have to evaluate what's going on with him. And so that's somebody you could carry on your roster um, longer term. But if you got into a scholarship crunch, you might say, hey, look, we're going to put you on medical hardship. You could still attend classes here. You won't count against our 85 or you can you know, transfer somewhere else and let that play out. Uh, and and try to rehab at another school and maybe hopefully play the rest of your career. Usually with somebody like that, though, I mean, there's very little hope that they're going to return to playing form. Uh, uh, David Adams was a guy that was kind of in that or was very much in that situation. Um, Hunter Spears. Um, so and Hunter Spears stuck around and was a student assistant coach. So what happens at other teams, I think they may outright just say, you know, see, ya. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that there's some schools that are that do the dance better than others. But this is pretty typical uh, because there's going to be attrition. There's going to be guys that get through spring practice and say, you know, when I'm third on the depth chart, I'm tired of it. A freshman jumped me. Uh, I'm I'm leaving. So it's it's very much a dance that's. Uh, you know, that's difficult, but Notre Dame is really has a very good pulse of where they feel like uh, these players are, are thinking what they're thinking. Yeah. I mean, and if they're misread, if they've misread it, I mean, it could turn into a bit of a game of chicken. It's like, oh, we want you to leave. And you're like, well, I don't want to leave. It's like, well, someone's going to have to make a decision here to either uh, take that person off scholarship or to, uh, or that person enter the transfer portal. Um Another option that can that can happen and doesn't really happen at Notre Dame or hasn't really happened much at Notre Dame um, that ha happens elsewhere is gray shirting. Um, and what that is is you take an incoming freshman um, 
and delay their enrollment to the to the spring semester. So uh, I'm not going to name anyone just to like to ca- act like this is something that's happening. But say someone that signed with Notre Dame in December um, and it doesn't arrive till isn't planning to arrive till June, which there's 11 of those guys in the Notre Dame's class. If Notre Dame is maybe one short of or one over, they could say, OK, player X, can you agree to not? start your career in the fall. Hey, we weren't going to play you anyways. Um, you were going to need some time to develop. Let's keep you that extra year of eligibility for you. You will gray shirt, sit out the fall, um, and then join us for the spring semester next year. Notre Dame was looking into that and it broached yeah. that topic with Maris Leofau. Um, in that class, I think that's the same recruited class as J.D. Bertrand, who was yep. someone who was qualified to get a full-time, I think it was a full a- academic scholarship. And Correct. so they were looking into possibilities there. So there are different ways to get around it. I'm not sure if like once you're an academic or once you're an athletic scholarship, if you could sort of be taken off of that and then converted to an academic scholarship, I think that might be a bit of a a no-no because it's like, how do you prove that that kid actually was warranted an academic scholarship? I don't, I don't know that how that would work. Like say, well, JD Bertrand's back. Why wouldn't he be eligible for an academic scholarship now? Um, so I don't think that is as possible, but maybe it is, but um, Notre Dame staff will have a plan of how it can handle these things. Um, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the gray shirting is something that's in the works for someone, but those are the things that can happen to sort of um, make your scholarship numbers work. And that's how it, it can work elsewhere. And it's definitely more popular elsewhere than it is at Notre Dame. All right. Next question is from Charles W. Wolf. Are there any other must haves must have needs that Notre Dame should be looking to fill in the transfer portal? Well, I think uh, the one swing and miss that they, I think, wish they had was a defensive lineman, an interior defensive lineman, and they didn't get that. And they have a chance now to kind of reevaluate that through spring practice and then look at the um, group that enters the portal in the second portal window which is may 1st through 15th and there will be a lot of new names there there's also guys floating around that don't have a home yet i don't know that anybody you know any there's a a fit there and an, an elite kind of guy there because they're looking for somebody that would be high in their rotation not not a guy that's you know third team maybe play in case somebody gets injured so um other than that maybe they would look at a safety. I think a lot of it depends on what Thomas Harper's role is. Is he purely going to be a nickel and play Tariq Bracey's position? Or is he a guy that could play some safety and play nickel? Uh, with DJ Brown coming back, that seems less likely that that would be um, something that they would want to try to do. Yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement there. And I, I, uh, I think the defensive tackle or nose guard is the only thing that I would probably consider a must, whereas a, a potential safety, another wide receiver, or, or I know I floated the idea of like maybe an interior offensive lineman um, would be potential wish list things if something works out and you really there's someone out there that you really like, um, but I don't know that I would qualify any of those uh, positions as as must haves for the for the next few months. But I, I mean, something something could happen in the spring that we learn, or I mean, there could be an injury that occurs in the spring, sort of like we mentioned with Ke- Keanu Ina, 
um, they needed a, a nose tackle. And so they um, decided to go after Chris Smith. Our next question is from Irish sports fan on the entire lounge. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on the Bray post-game press conference from the FSU game. He looked and acted like he was done. And as we are in the middle of actually recording this, we actually took a break to sort of dis- discuss how we were going to handle this before we answered. Not not this, this being this question, but how we were going to handle the coverage of this. Um, Notre Dame has announced um, that Mike Bray will be stepping down at the end of the season. Um, and so what seemed to be heading this way is actually going to officially be heading this way. But um, I'm curious, Eric, if what you heard and saw from Mike Bray after the the loss to Florida State um, maybe gave you some indication that this was going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I had a I obviously didn't cover the game. Bill Belinsky did, but uh, after talking with someone else on our beat last night, who felt like, boy, that felt like the end of Mike Bray. I went back and watched it and. I would agree. And I think uh, Irish sports fan is right on the money. I mean, that sounded like a guy that didn't have any other answers. And, um, you know, I think the only thing is we've seen Mike a couple times be on the ropes and kind of reinvent himself. And I just don't feel like at this point there's the energy to reinvent himself and and it be a multi-year process. So um, I think if you saw the press conference and how emotional Mike was that this isn't a huge surprise. So Irish sports fan, good read on that. Yeah. It's uh pretty surprising how this season has gone. I, I think it was interesting. He was sort of talking after the Florida state game, how he misread the team coming into the game, thought they'd play some defense. Um, but I think that's also sort of a microcosm of the, how he misread what he had going into this season. There was confidence that they could make a deep run in the tournament um, this year with so many veteran players. And um, well, I mean, they whiffed on getting a post presence. They right. needed a post presence. Yeah. This and team I, has been flawed from the start and they, there's no, I mean, it, there's really no answers. You know, there's no answers on the roster. Yeah, and, you, you uh, have to so, be lights out as, sh- as a shooting team to sort of overcome that, and Notre Dame just isn't. Um, I think there is maybe some more confidence that they could be that, but they can't. You, can, I mean, it's hard to rely on that in college. It's a little bit easier to sort of make that happen in the pros when you have the best players in the world shooting threes, but um, at, at, at the college level, I think it's a bit more difficult and a bit more a bit of a gamble. I, I just think like the fallout of that is Nate Lashevsky's playing the five and he's worse as a five than he is as a four. Dane Goodwin's playing a four. Essentially he should be a three. So I think every, a lot of guys are playing out of position to sort of make up for right. their, the roster holes. Um, and it's just, this has been a brutal stretch for Notre Dame where I can, I, I understand where Mike Bray was coming from. I was just like, I don't know what to do at this point. And, uh, well, and, and, and there's, and you look on the horizon and say, you're losing a lot of good players next year. Right. Yeah. And with the portal, you could lose young guys too. So yeah, I mean, I don't think that JJ Starling and Van Allen Lubin thought they were going to be four-year players in Notre Dame. I think they probably thought they'd be here and gone sooner rather than later. Not that they'd transfer somewhere, but that they'd be NBA players. Um, and so w- the fallout of all that that Notre Dame will have to deal with after the season. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's a good thing that they know this going. In. I mean, they can get started on the coaching search now, um, and. Uh, We'll see how how things play out there. I, I don't know that we have a good handle on who who makes it a lot of sense for Notre Dame as potential replacements, but we'll we'll start to to work on that now. 
Um, but yeah, it's a. Um, I think it's best for for it to end this way, just because it the the future looks so so murky, and because the present has just been so so off of what was expected. All right, next question is from Jay Siler, twenty five on the inside lounge. We can assume Michael Mayer is getting drafted first. Which Notre Dame player gets drafted second, and what about third? I'd guess Jared Patterson second, and Isaiah Foskey shortly after. What are your thoughts, Eric? Right, I would say um, Isaiah Foskey would be number two. Right, and then number three, we had Mike Renner on a few weeks ago on the podcast, and I think at the time he was pretty high on Brandon Joseph, even though Brandon Joseph wasn't having an All American year. He felt like, and, and when I've seen the top tens by position, it's Patterson and Joseph. So flip flop one of those three, one of those four. I think going into the season, my expectation was that Jason Adam Alola would play himself into that conversation, and and he didn't. Um, so Patterson, Joseph, or Joseph Patterson. I, for me personally, I would pick Patterson. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I I think it's I think it's Foskey and then Patterson. Um, I I'd be curious. I mean, I, I Patterson doesn't have like a lot of like measurables as an offensive lineman. They're like, oh, that he's like freakishly big or freakishly fast or anything like that. But he's a very good offensive lineman. I think that obviously the off the Notre Dame, uh, Harry Heastan connection there carries weight in the NFL given the success that his his former offensive linemen have had. Um so I, I, I would if I'm an NFL team, I'm taking a chance in the early middle rounds on Jared Patterson before Brandon Joseph, I think. Um, right. Position flexibility, one of the best captains I've covered. I mean, I can't say enough about Jared Patterson. I I would want him in my locker room. All right. Next question is from James Murphy at Murphy324. Is it factually correct to say that Sam Hartman will be Notre Dame's first professional quarterback? What can you share about your understanding of the activities of the Quinn slash Mendoza collective and its relationship with the athletic department? Well, I I mean, it's up to interpretation, Jim. I think I don't know that it's factual because everyone that played on the 2022 Notre Dame team was getting some NIL money. So technically Ron Paulus the third and Steve Angeli <laughs> um, were professional quarterbacks as Drew Pine and uh, Tyler Buckner was a professional rehabber. So, um, so that's how I would look at that. The fund, I think, um, which is the uh, organization that ties into Tom Mendoza and Brady Quinn, I, I don't know. I'm probably misunderstanding the question about the relationship to the athletic department. What we know as it pertains to the Notre Dame football team is it kind of provides a floor of NIL money for everybody. A lot of opportunities um, for, for them to do charity work, which generates their NIL money and so forth. So, you know, the, I don't know that the athletic department directs them and says, you know, they're not handing out acquisition fees. If that's the question, I guess that's what I wondered if you were hinting at, they are not doing that. They're not saying, Hey, uh, there's recruit a over here. Uh, why don't you write him a check just so he'll uh, pick Notre Dame 
on uh, his decision day. That's not happening. Yeah, and I mean, as it was explained to us, I mean, we had Tom Mendoza on our podcast that players would apply to fund um, with what they what they what they would hope to do with the charitable charitable opportunity, who who they want to associate with, um, and then fund would sort of come up with a plan in terms of who it wanted to allocate its funds to um, and how much it could do that for. We've seen football players, men's basketball players, women's basketball players um, all take advantage of that. So um, I imagine there will be um, opportunities there for Sam Hartman. And uh, I mean, just, I I mean, there's going to be opportunities for any starting quarterback in Notre Dame. There are opportunities for Tyler Buckner going into last season too. Um, so I, I think that uh, certainly when you have someone, the the player that, that can play at the level of Sam Hartman, um, the, the, the expectations are even higher. And then the interest to be sort of related or, um, or have Sam Hartman promoting your products um, is even greater. So I think that um, he will certainly command a significant amount of money through the NIL sphere. All right. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Um, and, uh, this one didn't take me <laughs> as long uh, as it does to research some of Marie's questions. So I appreciate this one. Now, now that the new recruiting season is in full swing, taking into consideration the current roster, which position groups are most in need of a very good recruiting year in 2024? Well, I'm taking into consideration the players that they've got committed on top of this. So I would normally say quarterback, they have CJ Carr committed, for example, um, the the ones that jumped out at me were defensive line linebacker and safety just because of the number of players that they have with expiring eligibility you know Botello and Osafa Mensa could technically come back for COVID year running out of those players John Batiste is a one and done um at Notre Dame uh then you look at the interior defensive line cross and mills could be done after this season. They each have a COVID year as well. Same with Bertrand, Leah Fow and Kaiser. Otherwise those three would be done. And then you look at the safeties. Um, DJ Brown is going to be done. He'll have a six year Harper, the kid coming in from Oklahoma state. He'll be done. Technically um, Ramon Henderson could be done after this year. Even Watts, if he has a great year could say, you know what, I'm going to jump into the NFL the safety to me probably is the one that that jumps out at me the most but you always i think you need some impact defensive linemen not not you know maybes and projects i think you need somebody that's going to play for you early and and be an elite defensive lineman yeah those were all my the top four of my list included defensive end defensive tackle and safety the one that you didn't mention there was offensive tackle um i think Notre Dame got more guards than tackles in its past couple of classes mm-hmm. um and at some point you're looking at okay who's going to be the next in line after joe alton blake fisher um and so i i think that that would be a priority um need in this 2024 class um and then if we're going down farther i think cornerbacks it's always good to have cornerbacks um and then, yeah when we talk about portal activity in spring there may that may be a position group where there's some attrition right yeah yeah and i think some some of the like we're talking about the current roster but obviously the current roster isn't going to be what the roster looks like when this the time the season comes so those needs become a little bit more obvious and i think notre dame is anticipating 
or no, I guess knows what positions it may be losing guys at, and then we'll be at, we'll have the opportunity to address that in the uh, in the recruiting class as it sees need necessary. All right, next question is from Kyle from Gloucester, Mass. at Cubster11. What influence will NIL play in the commitment and subsequent recruitment of Justin Scott? If you guys are getting Keon Keeley vibes, speak now or forever hold your peace. And for those who may not be aware, Justin Scott is a five-star defensive tackle. Um, that's a, a current junior in, from the Chicago area. So that is who Kyle is referencing there. Right. And his... Announcement date is January 31st, which is his birthday. I think Notre Dame feels pretty good about him, and yet Georgia has been a player that entered the Justin Scott sweepstakes really late and I think has his attention. Um, If he ended up at Georgia, I don't think that would be about NIL, but let's say he picks Notre Dame. I don't, again, this, it wouldn't be because of an acquisition fee going to Notre Dame. It, it would just be, this is a guy you would have to recruit all the way to the end, though. I mean, the other schools aren't going to say, you know what, he's committed to Notre Dame, let's leave him alone. And they're going to try to, there's going to be other schools that try to tempt him with NIL money. And so it's hard to predict how that's going, what kind of influence that's going to have on him. You know, I've only spoken to a couple of, of the kids in this class because I don't do recruiting on a day-to-day basis. But I talked to Christian Gray and I talked to Jaden Greathouse and Christian, it was never going to be a a thing with him and kind of with Jaden Greathouse too. I mean, he said people threw millions at him to try to get him to change his mind. So the temptation is going to be there and it's just, um, you know, what Justin and the people around him feel like is the most important. And again, there's NIL money at Notre Dame, but not acquisition fees. They're not the same thing. They're just yeah. done. the acquisition fees are done under the guise of NIL, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. And alleged acquisition fees don't actually don't always actually <laughs> the money doesn't actually change hands sometimes uh, as right. we, we're sort of seeing in this Jaden Rashada case. Um, uh, the f- quarterback uh, committed to or signed with Florida and has asked out of his letter of intent allegedly because uh, the collective at Florida has backed off its proposed deal for him that which. I believe was upwards of thirteen million dollars, which seems incredible and not not surprising that they have decided. Hey, you know what? I don't know that we're going to be able to come up with that kind of money. Um, I think I think anytime you're dealing with a five star recruit, there's 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 going to be the chances that schools are going to still come after them, and that NIL money will be will be proposed to them from various collectives with with the schools attached to them, um, and I think. My guess is beyond just sort of that, I think the fact that when you look at Justin Scott's top eight, it included Notre Dame, Alabama, Colorado, Miami, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, and USC. A handful of those have been pretty um, connected to these collectives and and NIL deals that I think there's some – so there's the thought that, well, maybe that's why – maybe that's a bigger role in in Justin's recruitment than than what we – had first thought I still don't have any indication that 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 is like a major thing for him the I mean what we believe based on our reporting and and Kyle Kelly has done the majority of this um, is that education and proximity will play bigger roles in his recruitment certainly that can change Um, but like you mentioned he's not 
his interest that we believe he has in Georgia isn't because of NIL. It's because of the success they have as a program and with defensive linemen there. It's uh, I, 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 it's hard to like, if I were a five-star defensive lineman, I would be giving Georgia some serious thought too, because of what they're, what they're doing down there. So um, if he does go ahead and visit Georgia and maybe that delays his commitment decision, I think that's ultimately a good thing because you need him to sort of see through his options um, before you make a decision. Uh, And even, even if he doesn't or does, there's always a way that that can change so the, to to sort of eliminate the possibility of him potentially committing and then continuing to be pursued by other schools and showing the interest in other schools. Um, it's best to sort of see, let things see, be played out before, before a commitment gets, gets made. So we'll see how that that's going. I know um, the, on the insider lounge, Kyle Kelly has been providing a lot of good information because he's been um, working pretty hard on getting as much um, information on this as possible. All right, next question we have is from Burt Leonard at Burt2834. Can you ask Marcus Freeman to have names on the back during the spring game? Easier for all of us. Also, what is your favorite movie slash movie genre? Well, Burt, if you think that Marcus Freeman will listen to me, <laughs> uh, I will ask for more than just jerseys on the back. I, I don't think that they're going to do that for the spring game. I mean, they could, but... um you know, I think, uh, you know, I don't think the chances of it are really good. Um, so then, uh, also favorite movie mover genre. I like to laugh. I like comedies. Um, if you ask me my favorite movies, you know, this guy hasn't been to a movie in decades. <laughs> I have, um, but I get dragged to children's movies because I have six grandchildren whose ages range between four and 14 and they like to go to movies or watch movies with grandpa. And so uh, I could tell you good children's movies, but (laughs) in general, when I watch a movie apart from my grandkids, I like to laugh and like comedy. Is there a a hot movie that they're all obsessed with right now? Not right now. They haven't, they haven't asked uh, lately. So I don't even know what the hot movie is. I'll tell you the, um, I've seen all the Toy Story movies. I'll tell you, those are good movies. Yes. Toy Story 2 was the best of the Toy Story movies, and I have seen that over a hundred times. Seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would be in favor of them play putting their names on the back of jerseys during the spring game. I don't have a problem with that. I don't, like you said, I don't think Marcus Freeman's gonna listen to us. If the players want it, then maybe they'll they'll uh, they'll make that happen. Uh, I, it makes sense. It's just an, I mean. The spring game is is more of a, I mean, it is a uh, a learning opportunity for the players, but it's a promotional event as much as it is anything. So why not give the players an opportunity to wear the names on the back of their jerseys? Um, but but we get asked about names on the back of their jerseys all the time, so I don't I don't know what what the movement for that would be or if if that's ever going to happen in any realistic way. Um, as for movies, I always say my favorite movie is The Sandlot. Um, and, uh, it's been a, a favorite movie of mine since being a kid, and I it does I, it just never gets old to me. I just think it's a great movie. Um, it's funny, um, it's uh, touching, um, and it's I think it's sort of quintessential of growing up as a young boy. Um, I in terms of my favorite genre, I I watch everything. I, I watch serious Oscar films to action thrillers to comedies. If I had to pick just one, I I would go with comedies, but I like to I like to feel all the emotions. I like to laugh, I like to cry, I like to be fooled. Um I think the best movies are, are the ones that have a little bit of everything in it. Um 
uh, for uh, Glass Onion was a recent movie that's on Netflix. Uh, it's funny and mysterious. I really enjoyed that one. Um, Coda, which was I think the Oscar winner maybe last year, that was a really touching movie about a deaf family, but it was also really funny at times. And those 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 I think are the sort of the best kinds of movies that you can do, get a little bit of everything for. Um, so I, I I like to watch movies. This is actually the time of year where I finally start to catch up on movies when I have a little bit more free time and there's not like a constant concern of breaking news. Where, where there is maybe during the football season or even right after. Um, so I'm hoping to I actually went and saw the second Black Panther movie last week and I need to go see the Avatar 2. Uh, that's that's what probably the hottest movie out right now is, Eric. So. My youngest son tells me that I need to see that. All right. All right. Our last question is from Chino at D underscore radio guy. If the only way that you guys could eat in the press box during the game was potluck style, which ND media member would bring the best and worst dish? Okay, you know, Tyler and I were talking off the air before we started about this question, and uh, the thing, what flashed through my mind was how far we would have to walk with a covered dish without spilling it, (laughs) Uh, but then I just kind of took that out of the equation. So the best is easily Tom Noy. Um, Tom helped invent the taco bar concept at the (laughs) South Bend Tribune when we were there, and Tom's contribution for the taco bar were some of the best fresh vegetables you've ever had. Fresh shredded lettuce, perfectly diced tomatoes, onions, uh, perfectly sliced jalapeno peppers. Um, so Tom would probably bring the whole taco bar with him for his potluck or at least some really good ingredients for it. The worst would be Whoever came up with the concept last year in the press box of the walking taco. (laughs) Now I've had those with my kids, little league games where you basically open a bag of Fritos and you put like chili in it and that's okay. But what we had last year was Fritos with some kind of shredded meat and it didn't eat very well. It didn't taste very well. So anybody that embraced that or thought of it, they would be the worst uh, potluck con- contributor. Yeah, I don't, I didn't have a lot of like options. I mean, we don't, uh, I don't, I haven't eaten any food. Probably Tom would probably be the only person of food uh, that's made food that I've had food of in the press box that I could think of. Um, I know Douglas Farmer likes to brag about uh, wings that he makes. Um, and uh, and Tom's one of the- got a smoker too. Tom's got game. He's a skinny guy. But the guy knows flavor. Yeah, so I, that's probably the that's probably the best pick. Uh, another person who I know smokes meats is uh, Alan Wasilewski, the yeah. uh, one of the SID members. Um, and so I've never had any of his, but I've heard good things. So um, I, he's not necessarily a media member as he works for Notre Dame, but um, I, I think uh, he would be towards the top of my list. Um, they almost had me talked into getting a smoker. <laughs> For the worst dish, I'm going to throw our our coworker Kyle Kelly under the bus. He he's the youngest. I'm not sure how much cooking he's done. Um, so I think he would be the he would probably be the person in the press box that I would be the least uh, or the the most nervous about. I, I I don't know that for record. Um, but I I don't know what where his uh, cooking abilities are. But to be honest, I don't know like how well a lot of the members on the beat could could. Uh, can cook so i if if wives weren't helping um (laughs) i think i think this would probably be a pretty bad potluck if i had to guess i i think i'd probably put my cooking towards the top of the 
of the list there, but I don't know that I would be I would number too. one. But... I put yours and mine. Yours would be something pumpkin flavored, though. Yeah, yeah. I could always bring pumpkin rolls, and that would that would be a, a win over for anyone who's brave enough to try pumpkin flavored food. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with your insurance agent. We want to get to 100 ratings on Apple Podcasts in 2023, and we love to read the reviews. We don't have any new reviews since our last podcast, um, and the ratings aren't, aren't flying up like I thought they would, so please help us out there. Um, and just throw some stars in there. You don't even have to leave a review. If you just throw us the stars, those count as ratings. Um, our, I don't think we're going to have a – I think we're going to try to take a week off of the podcast next week. Um, I, I think we've done a weekly podcast since probably the beginning of August. <laughs> uh, so we, as long as the news is slow um, and there's not something worth podcasting about um, out of the normal, then then we'll probably take next week off. But we'll let you guys know if that changes – um, always pay attention to our uh, my Twitter account because I'm all, if if we are recording a podcast, I'll be asking for questions for it. So that's usually the dead giveaway that we are indeed we're going to have a podcast coming. But until then, stick with InsideIndieSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. Mm-hmm.